Welcome, everybody. This is French Principles Podcast, the podcast dedicated to analyzing all environmental issues from First Principles. Today, you're joined by your host, Trees. And unfortunately, I do not have my co-host, Elliot, with me. And for the foreseeable future, he will not be joining me for episodes of First Principles. This saddens me because he was a great co-host to have. But unfortunately, that's the way life goes. He has some things to take care of. But you know what? I'm still here. We still got trees and I'm definitely ready to go harder into the paint on all this stuff because there's so much to talk about when it comes to the environmental uh, situation that is currently taking place. Things are definitely ratcheting up, whether it's these crazy protesters that are throwing cans of soup at priceless art whether it's legislations being passed down to limit how much people can consume or travel. There's plenty to talk about from the environmental side of things. And of course, here at First Principles Podcast, my goal is to break things down from the ground up. First Principles, let me just review what that's about. First Principles is about understanding things from their core levels, from the fundamental presuppositions upon which something is built upon, from the core values upon which something is built upon. First Principles, that is the goal of this podcast, to analyze issues from the core deep level. Now today, we're going to be talking about the Dutch farmers protests that has been taking place for the past several years. Uh, you might not be familiar with that, but it's been getting more attention since the summertime. However, it has been taking place since the um, year 2019. So let's just get into it a little bit. What's happening is these Dutch Farmers, they're protesting because of legislation that is coming down from the government, centralized control, and it is dictating to the to the farmers how much emissions they are allowed to uh, emit. So this all started out, as I said, in 2019. The Dutch farmers' protest uh, began at this time, and it was in October 2019 in response to a new carbon emissions reductions legislation that disproportionately impacted farmers. So, of course, 2019, that's when a lot of carbon emissions limits were coming out in terms of taxing, not in, in terms of legislations of uh, tailpipe emissions, but in terms of taxing. This is very important to note. This is also taking place in other places such as Canada. This is where I'm from currently. So. What happened next is that in June 2010 of this year, the Dutch government unveiled more extreme measures targeted directly at the agricultural industry. Farms next to nature reserves must cut nitrogen output by 70%, the economist reported. So 70% reduction. About 30% of the country's cows and pigs will have to go along with a big share of cattle and dairy farms. So 30% cows, pigs, they gotta go. Where do they go? They don't say that. They just have to go. Now, let's just put a... So I'm reading this article right here. In, it's called uh, from FEE.org. It has a nice little backstory of the origin of the 
protests. So in response to this, about 40,000 Dutch farmers protested outside government buildings and the homes of ministers and drove hundreds of tractors to blockade food distribution centers, including warehouses and grocery stores. Throughout July, the movement spread to Germany, Italy, Spain, Poland, and other nations, each with farmers taking to the streets in repudiation of the government's measures to reduce the scale and output of the agricultural industry. Now, this is something that, of course, is uh, becoming most notified in Netherlands, in Holland. However, again, as this article points out, it did spread to other nations. Why? Because these are legislations, these are policies that are going to come down to the rest of the world. Canada's talking about it. Other nations are talking about it. And as a result, everybody around the world is paying attention. So let's just analyze what the claims are. Actually, before that, I want to go into another piece of disturbing news. Um, and actually, actually, one thing to point out before I say that is that, um, so some of these protests have led to gunshots, they've led to fires, they've led to people getting hurt, and it's uh, led to some extreme violence. So, this uh, is definitely ramping up and people are starting to uh, be um, very displeased with the government. So another thing that I think is really important to highlight is that the government is actually taking property from these farmers away. Now, this to me should send off huge alarm bells and to everybody that's listening when you have government seizure of property of people's private property you do not have any rights as a government to simply come in and take other people's things for something that is quote unquote the greater good when you look at history these types of tactics have been employed countless times when you have centralized authorities to try to take control of people's things, when you look at the Soviets and what they did with centralized farm distribution and trying to delineate how all the different groups were to run everything from that centralized control, this is quite alarming. So there's a uh, an article on FarmersForum.com and it says... 600 Dutch farmers face the forced sale of their farms to their unmoved national government in the next year, according to a recent report. In an interview with UK-based news agency, political commentator Eva uh, Vladinger-Broek, uh, excuse me for mispronouncing that, highlights Dutch farmers' continued outrage with the Netherlands government in the wake of the recently announced farm buy-up plan. It's a key measure in a new environmental report released by the Dutch state in reaction to farmer protests that have rolled in Holland since the spring after a prosecutor report sparked great upset in the ag sector. The outcome of the new program is worse. They're going to expropriate, forcefully buy out 600 farms the next year, Amsterdam-based uh, Vladenbroek uh, tells Mark Stein in the online broadcast. Adding dismissively, but it sounds a little nicer in the way that it's written in the title, in the little text. Instead of changing anything, they just change the tone. By forcibly cutting the number of cattle and farms as well as fertilizers used in agriculture, the Dutch government aims to reduce nitrogen oxide emissions from agriculture, all in pursuit of controversial climate change goals. So one thing that is important to highlight here is that, again, this is done for the purpose of quote-unquote climate change goals, climate change amelioration. However, 
the real issue here isn't one of climate change. It's one of pollution. It's simply a question of pollution because when it comes to nitrogen, one of the issues here is ammonia runoff. That's what they're talking about. They want to re reduce ammonia. In addition to that, the other issue with nitrogen comes from NOx gases, right? So you have uh, nitrogen oxide, nitrogen dioxide, right? And what these do are they're, they're emitted via the tractors. So th those are the two essentially points of contention. Number one, you have ammonia, which is the runoff that's used from the fertilizers. And that runoff apparently goes into the streams and the sensitive ecological areas. And the second, the second issue is the emissions of the nitrous oxides from the tractors that are used. Now, so let, let's just break that down because when you look at it, okay, so these are the two problems, but when it comes to the solutions that are being proposed, the issue here is not, okay, we can say whatever we want about those targets, Let's say, okay, let, let, let's go for those targets. Let's, let's do the reductions. However, when it comes to the actual solutions that we're using, why is the government just simply saying, hey, you know what? We're just going to ax this whole thing. 30% of your cattle, your pigs, just cut it. I mean, that's one way of reducing emissions. However, there's many ways to skin a cat. So there's many different technologies that exist in order to treat both these issues, whether it's the air quality issues from the NOx, nitrous oxides, or the ammonia runoff, NH3. Both of these have technology. These are not new things. So why are we looking at such extreme measures for forceful government buying of, so they're making it sound nice. Oh, they're, they're buying. They're not just forcefully selling you, forcing you to sell it, but they're forcing you to sell it and they're going to give you some money for it in order to protect these lands. Now, let's just get one thing straight. During a time of inflation, we're in a time of global inflation. It's impacting everyone. They want to reduce the supply of goods, which will make products more expensive. Think about it. What they want to do with these tactics is reduce the output of farms, right? Because that's the only way to ameliorate the situation. They're literally buying farms. They're stealing farms. Correction. They're stealing farms from people. They're taking people's livelihoods away in order to achieve this goal, in order to achieve this goal of bettering humanity, bettering the community on, on a communal scale. Now, whenever you sacrifice the rights of the individuals for the rights of the group, we have an issue here. We have a problem. This is where Marxist, communist, centralized, authoritarian systems come in. When you have, a, 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 when you're giving up the rights of the individual for the collective, for the community. And just to get back to my previous point, what you're doing, even though you're claiming it's for the collective good, you're actually making people's lives more miserable. Why? Because we already have record inflation. We already have people that are poor, that are living at the margins. In Canada, you have made medically medical assistance in dying. 
And what's happening is that people are becoming so poor instead of going through life, excuse me, I'm so passionate, instead of going through life as a poor person, as somebody that's just living on the margins, they would rather commit suicide. But it's supported by the government, so it's all good. In the past two weeks alone, she's fielded five calls from clients seeking help in ending their own life. So people are so desperate, they're coming here for food, but then they're asking you about assisted suicide? Yes. That's, you're having people ask you yes. about assisted suicide? Yes. That, I, when I say that this is an emergency in the community, people who are living at the bottom income percentile in our community are talking to us now about taking their own lives because it's too hard to be poor any longer. This is, this is what's happening right now. And they want to exacerbate the problem again by reducing the area of land that the farmers have in order to operate. You're going to reduce the supply of goods when you have less things in the market, when you have less things being produced in the market that drives up the price, that increases the cost. If you had one iPhone out there, that's going to be one damn expensive iPhone because it's the only one. But if everybody had an iPhone, if everybody had 10 iPhones, all of a sudden iPhone isn't all that expensive or valuable. This is what's happening, guys. So in the middle of record inflation, they want to make things even harder for people and then claim that it's for the benefit of everyone. <laughs> this is where the, you, you can't write this stuff. And um, this is where you start, once you start to uncover what is happening and the farce that is taking place, you truly do have to listen up. Let's jump into what the, some, some of the technological um, solutions that we already have. So again, and I actually have this interesting uh, article here from BBC, and it's only interesting in the sense that it shows how the, um, just like the, the bias with which the, the BBC writes and, um, just trying to paint this as, hey, we need insects, biodiversity is under threat, native species are disappearing more rapidly here and elsewhere in Europe, according to the Netherlands Environmental Assessment Agency. Yeah, insects, that's what we should be concerned about. Not the people that are out there ready to commit suicide with the assistance of the government. Those aren't the people that we should be concerned about. We should be concerned about the insects. BBC. That's that's the BBC for you. Okay. Okay. So and I'll and I'll link all these articles for you guys to go through as well. So next let's go through some of the technological solutions that already exist. As I said, when it comes to NOx emissions, these are the tailpipe emissions that come out of the tractors. Tractors they're usually diesel because they're diesel engine because they're they're big. They're big farm equipment, right? Big stuff usually is more diesel. So when it comes to NOx and uh, emissions, what is the solution for that? Well, we have these things called catalytic converters, right? There's selective catalytic reduction, which reduces NOx over a catalyst using ammonia as a reductant. So we literally, you have the tailpipe, you have the emissions, you slap something on it, and then it, it absorbs and Boom, you cut out your emissions. Pretty simple fix. Can we do that? Yeah, we've been doing that. 
Matter of fact, we have emissions regulations on diesel engines, on diesel vehicles, and year after year, they're becoming more and more stringent in order to force the industry to innovate. I know this because this is the work that I used to be involved in. We used to track all the importers of different diesel engines, different vehicles, and how much emissions and they were, they were emitting, whether it was NOx, the carbon uh, monoxide, or the particulate matter. So these things have technological solutions. Tailpipe emissions can be managed with this. Also, just simple things like exhaust gas recirculation. There's technological solutions that exist. These aren't new problems. That's the NOx. Number two was the ammonia. Okay, NH3. Well, something that exists in order to deal with ammonia is the nitrification process, nitrification or denitrification. And this is a common process in wastewater treatment. If you simply Google nitrification, ammonia nitrification, denitrification, it, there are many systems that already exist which will go over and describe how to set up, how to execute wastewater treatment systems where the input is ammonia and there's various processes that it goes through in order to convert it into nitrate and then nitrite and eventually just let the gas out as a, as a harmless gas. So again, we have solutions for the ammonia, number one, and we have solutions for the NOx emissions, number two. So okay, I go back to why is the government forcing the sale, forcing the theft of these people's lands? To Again, like this is such an extreme measure that is unbalanced, number one, doesn't take into account what already exists, doesn't take into account what the farmers can do, doesn't take into account the downstream economic impacts when people are already living on the margins. I kid you not, people in Canada are ready to kill themselves and the government is there to help them do it because they can't pay the bills. That's what's happening right now. And it's all it's all connected. What is it connected to? What is it connected to? Here's the big picture. The big picture. There's this thing called the World Economic Forum. You familiar with it? You might have been familiar with it. It's been coming into more and more prominence recently. This guy named Klaus Schwab, you might have heard of that guy. So, in 2018, they were already talking about the nitrogen footprint, right? So 2018, when you go on their site, they have an article titled, you've heard of carbon footprint. Now it's time to cut your nitrogen footprint. Wow. We just got on the carbon footprint, but now, okay, let's introduce nitrogen, which does lead to a logical question, which I've had for a while is actually, why are we only doing the emissions targets on carbon? We should be doing it on everything. And of course, that is the goal. That that's if they could have everything that they wanted, and by they I mean the centralized technocrats that are pushing these types of agendas on people, these types of policies, they would want to track every single particle 
that you are emitting and, and that you are contributing to. So whether it's starting from carbon to nitrogen, and then we're going to go on to phosphorus, and then we're going to go on to this metals and this and that. How much, how much nickel are you, are you consuming? Eh? How much copper? Hey, I saw, I saw you got some phones. You, 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 you're running up your tabs. You're running up your copper tabs, bro. You're, you're running up your tabs on uh, lithium. Uh, you, 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 no, no more, no more for you. Your lithium footprint is too high, right? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. So uh, I go back to this article. Nitrogen pollution has significant environmental and human health cause. It is often conflated with other environmental problems, such as climate change, which is exacerbated by nitrous oxide, N2O, uh, and nitrogen oxides, or particulate smog, to which NH3 also contributes. One way to understand our nitrogen use is to look at our nitrogen footprint. This is the amount of reactive nitrogen, which is all forms nitrogen other than inert nitrous gas, released into the environment from our daily activities that consume resources including food and energy so our earlier research showed that australia has a large nitrogen footprint at up to 47 kilograms of nitrogen per person per year australia is far ahead of the u.s 28 kilograms per person the second on the leaderboard of per capita reactive nitrogen emissions australians large nitrogen footprint are created largely by a diet rich in animal protein and high levels of coal use for energy so again they're looking at the nitrogen footprint and telling us Back in 2018, the World Economic Forum is starting to talk about, hey, what about nitrogen? Have you guys thought about this? Now, what is the World Economic Forum? You have to keep in mind that these are unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats, self-appointed, self-aggrandized bureaucrats that have no loyalty to any one nation, no loyalty to any one government, they do not have any accountability and they wish to, in their own words, infiltrate cabinets of other nations. So you have an independent body, multinational, transnational body, and their goal is to infiltrate, again, their words, not mine, and put their message, put their will into the policy of various countries, into the policy, into the reg uh, regulations, legislations of various countries. And again, I point to this article, Exhibit A, 2018. We're talking about nitrogen, nitrogen footprint. we got to start being weary of it, okay? Now, 2019, they have another article, and it's titled, Global Farmers Can Take on Climate Change. Here's how. So, conveniently enough, the World Economic Forum is already looking forward for farmers and getting them ready, getting them prepped. In 2019, they're already talking about, hey, hey farmers, you guys can help too. We, ha we haven't forgotten about you guys. So the article goes, today agriculture is a major contributor to challenges facing our environment, land degradation, aquifer depletion, nitrogen runoff, and greenhouse gas emissions, to name a few. These challenges are contributing to changing the composition of our atmosphere. Last month, scientists recorded the highest concentration of atmospheric carbon dioxide in human history. Uh, that represents an increase of 135 parts per million. Da -da 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 -da. So what can farmers do? 
putting carbon back into the soil. So how do we increase carbon content of soil while still cultivating the land? A small percentage of farmers are already doing this by employing practices known as regenerative. Five important regenerative practices are planting cover crops, no-till farming, rotating crops, reducing chemicals and fertilizers, and incorporating livestock. These practices are proven to both drive carbon into the soil and keep it there. The resulting carbon-enriched soils are healthier, demonstrating better resilience to extreme weather, improve water permeability, increase microbial diversity, higher yields, reduce input requirements, and even more nutritious harvest all of which is better for both land and farmers bottom line so it sounds like a good thing right if farmers provide the socioeconomic benefit of removing atmospheric carbon by adopting regenerative practices, it seems reasonable that they should be compensated for their effort. Today, the average farmer in the United States is making less than $40 per acre. If carbon is priced at $15 to $20 per ton and growers adopt regenerative practices can capture two to three tons of carbon per acre annually, that represents an added additional $30 to $60 towards their bottom line. This significant profitability boosts their further supplemented by the economic benefits of transitioning through regenerative practices, such as lower input costs and higher yields. $15 to $20 per ton is also much less expensive than proposed alternatives for removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So it all comes down to having less carbon in the atmosphere. We have to remember though, how are we going to accomplish this? So they have a bunch of techniques that they list, but ultimately it comes back to not growing. It comes back to having less product. It comes back to just not making as much. Because after all, there's too many people, as they claim, and we need to scale down. We need to reduce how much we are producing. To be clear, I'm not suggesting that a sole focus on agricultural soil is enough to address climate change. We still need to cut emissions. We still need energy systems that are sustainable, and we need widespread awareness of how everyone can reduce their footprint. But when capturing and storing carbon dioxide in Earth's soils is paired with reducing our emissions, we have a real hope of not just slowing our advance towards the climate cliff, but stopping, turning around, and walking the other way. So again, you have to couple this, the, the carbon storage, with a reduction in carbon emissions. And again, when you couple these two things, the only thing that results is leave the land alone and don't touch it. Hence, while you have the government buying the land and taking it away from farmers, a.k.a. they get what they want, you have soil that's being there it's growing it's allowing for carbon sequestration so the farmers can make money off that plus the there's less emissions they don't have tractors that, that are running on those lands so therefore you have the emissions reductions and the socioeconomic benefit that's what they say the socioeconomic benefit and they're going to compensate the farmers for that too right not not for the actual work not for actually producing food for people but just for letting the just letting everything there just be there don't touch it you you've done enough thank you very much <laughs> so they, they they claim it's better to use the soil for carbon capture than actual use hence they need to pay farmers with carbon credits for sequesters for sequestering as opposed to producing they also claim this is done for the benefit of the consumer meanwhile it only furthers their goal of carbon tracking which they wanted anyways so that's quite convenient so it's it's essentially one of the interesting things that um that this leads to is again the tracking of carbon which we had discussed in a different episode the carbon tax I highly recommend you check that out it's still relevant to this day but what these technocrats want is essentially the ability to track every single particle that's being emitted 
And that way they can essentially know who are the good people that are contributing to bettering climate change and who are the bad people that are contributing to worsening climate change. This is really all it comes down to, guys. The, the, the crux of the matter is this, is this. I cannot tell you, I cannot emphasize this anymore. The goal is to not only track carbon, as they said, track nitrogen, track every other molecule, chemical, and tie it back to the individual in your purchases. And that way, you can tie it back to a socioeconomic benefit. <laughs> they say it themselves. This might sound like a conspiracy, but it's all lined out. <clears throat> socioeconomic benefits? We're talking about a social credit score. So, let's keep let's keep reading. So, one interesting um, conversation that, uh, that that I came across uh, at the World Economic Forum, and it, it was a more recent conversation, and it really highlighted some of the the craziness that's really uh, good, uh, that's like happening, um, the, the Davos agenda, and. Um, what what is going on there and um so again we go back to treating soil as an asset class uh just like this this other interesting thing uh we have to stop treating soil like dirt uh this is another article posted by we forum um it is an asset so it isn't just a factor of production it's an environmental asset it stores 80 percent of carbon in terrestrial ecosystems so it's all about the how much carbon soil is storing we need it for carbon storage that's it that is the main purpose of soil this is the lens through which they are looking through the world and that is why they are buying up that land it is that simple it might be covered up in beautiful gobbledygook oh we'll do this and that farming and it's going to increase productivity increase emissions da, 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 da. we've seen this stuff look at sri lanka they're the ones that started adopting a lot of these principles, a lot of these, um, uh, in, 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 quote unquote, climate change friendly growing methodologies. Look at what happened in their government. But they're not going to stop there. No, no, no. They're not going to stop there at all. Um, so, and, and again, um, to, to further bolster my claim of the, the fact that they want to track every single particle and then make sure that it is tied back to personal consumption. Again, this article dated 2022, right? This is a, this is a relatively new article, Restoring Trust by Restoring Soil, February 10th, 2022. And we have a very interesting point. When we scroll down, what they say is that we need to engage the consumer through full transparency. What does that mean? We gotta be transparent, guys. So today, consumers have no way of knowing whether food in the supermarkets has been produced in an environmentally friendly way. It's a guessing game. We know all there is to know about the nutritional facts, but nothing about the climate footprint. It's time we move from counting calories to counting carbon. This can be done by promoting full transparency in the food value chain. The technology is readily available and there are a number of different initiatives ongoing. However, we need standardization and harmonization. This way, consumers will know how to act and we can reward sustainable agriculture every day we go grocery shopping. Guys, it's right there. 
It's right there. You think I'm playing? Let me read that again. We need standardization and harmonization. This way, consumers will know how to act. They're programming you. And we can reward sustainable agriculture every day we go grocery shopping. So you go grocery shopping, you be a good boy, you be a good girl, you buy the things that we want you to buy, we'll give you a pat on the head and we'll give you some points. We'll give you some socioeconomic benefit points. Guys, this is for real. This is something that I cannot emphasize how important this is. Now, there's this one final article that I wanted to go through, which perhaps, it, which is the most recent one, and it comes from October 10th, 2022, and it really, really hit home, and it really just made things um, perfectly clear as to where we're going, guys. And I'm gonna read some of this transcript for you, and we, we're gonna have an interesting time understanding what their goals are because they lay it out. Again, this is the, the World Economic Forum. So there's some sort of um, conversation that took place. There was a panel, there are people talking, and I'm gonna read, and I was reading part of the transcript and it mentions our brothers, the Dutch farmers. So it says, but if you are say, so this is Adrian Monk, but if you are, say, a Dutch farmer and you're told to take certain actions in order to use less fertilizer, for example, or to, you know, make less emissions and you find it hitting your bottom line and you take to the streets to protest because you see your livelihood being threatened. How does the message get through to farmers like that or how do governments begin to compensate people for the cost of these changes? Because what we're seeing is that a lot of this transition comes with a price tag. And as you said, currently that price is set up to pay people to do certain things that are not delivering what we want to deliver. How do you make sure from a government point of view that people actually don't feel robbed or disempowered? They actually, you know, feel like they're on the right pathway towards achieving those goals. So, of course, they're very cognizant of the fact that the Dutch farmers are not happy and many farmers around the world are not happy with these measures. So their question is, oh, what can we do to appease them? The answer, aligning the incentives from Maximo Torero. These are all high up dudes in the World Economic Forum. But let me go into his response. Aligning the incentives. So I don't need to provide the Dutch farmer more resources to keep subsidizing the production of cereals. I can give incentives to the Dutch farmer to produce high value commodities and to innovate in technology. My apologies, guys. My recording device totally turned off and I had to restart. Let me just reiterate this quote by Mr. Adrian Monk. And he says, his question is, again, related to the Dutch farmers. And it's very critical, so that's why I'm going to reiterate it. But if you are, say, a Dutch farmer, and you're told to take certain actions in order to use less fertilizer, for example, or to, you know, make less emissions, and you find it hitting your bottom line, and you take to the streets to protest because you see your livelihood being threatened, how does the message get through to farmers like that? Or how to governments uh, begin to compensate people for the cost of those changes? Because what we're seeing is that a lot of this transition comes with a price tag. And as you said, currently, that price is set 
set up to pay people to do certain things that are not delivering what we want to deliver. How do you make sure from a government point of view that people actually don't feel robbed or disempowered? They actually, you know, feel like that they're on the right path towards achieving those goals. And I think this response, again, is super telling of what the future looks like if we are to leave it in the hands of these technocrats. And this is critical to understand. Mr. Maximo Torero, his response to how we, again, the question was how we make sure that the farmers don't feel like they're being cheaped out, like they're not being scammed. Fundamentally, that was a question. And his response is, aligning the incentives, quote, aligning the incentives so I don't need to provide the Dutch farmer more resources to keep subsidizing the production of cereals. I can give incentives to the Dutch farmer to produce high-value commodities and to innovate in technologies which will provide healthy diets to the world. The problem is I'm doing the opposite. So the problem, you go to farmers in X countries, in developed countries, where the subsidies are such level that they can make a museum of tractors because they have so much money that they can keep buying tractors. Again, tractors, tractors, they hate tractors. Why? Because as I mentioned, the NOx emissions. And you ask, why do you do that? Oh, because of the subsidies. So it's completely inconsistent to the reality we are living. Let me translate that. The first part is really where the heart of the answer comes in. He says, we need to give incentives to the Dutch farmers to produce high value commodities. What does that mean? Commodities and to innovate in technologies? What, is, what does that mean? What are they trying to say? When it comes to farming, create commodities? Let me tell you what that means. It means, again, they're trying to condition. They're trying to get certain behavior. They're trying to gain actions from people. So of course, it's all about incentives. It's all about carrots and sticks. What do they want the farmers to produce? They want them to produce their own commodities. This is something that's becoming more and more prevalent when it comes to food. We've had the advent of uh, artificial meats, beyond meat. What is the beauty of these things is that you can now patent food. You have a food that you can put on the market. You have companies that benefit from these foods, these artificial foods. Now, what is this guy talking about? He wants to align incentives. He wants the Dutch farmers to produce commodities. So he wants them to produce the fundamental building blocks. That's what a commodity is. It is a building block, right? A commodity is something that is so base that it cannot be differentiated for example, rice. Rice from one region is similar to rice in another region. Oil from one region is similar to the oil to another region. Give or take, right? It's a commodity. Gold, it's a commodity. Now, food is a commodity. They want to make these foods into commodities and then innovate in technologies. Now, what does that mean? So previously in this conversation, they mentioned something else that's very interesting. They mention a cereal, right? 
they mentioned their own artificial cereal that they've created. So what he's saying, when he's saying we're going to get them to produce commodities and we're going to innovate with technology, what that means is they get the fundamental base building blocks from the farmers. They incentivize them to build that. Then they insert that, inject that into their own formula, into their own cereal. And they actually have a link to this cereal. It's called Super Cereal Plus. I kid you not. I'll show you the screenshot. It's called Super Cereal Plus. And what's interesting about it is the mixture. So what do we have? Ingredients, wheat, 52.3%. Dehold soya beans, 25%. Dry skim milk powder, 8%. Sugar, 9%. Refined soya bean oil, 4%. Vitamin and mineral premix, 0.2%. Dicalcium phosphate anhydrous, 1.23%. Potassium chloride, 0.27%. So what we have is something where you've literally reduced the amount of wheat. If you wanted to give people wheat, you could just grow wheat, right? But wheat is only a component of this mixture. It's a concoction. So they get the farmers to make the commodities to then input it into their little formula that they can then sell. You see how this works? It's a And then they market it as a super cereal. It's a super cereal. Wheat soya blend is consumed as a porridge or gruel. It should be prepared by mixing an appropriate portion of flour and clean water. Guys, he, spelled, he, he just spelled out the beans. They want to incentivize. They, they want to take land first and foremost. They, and then they want to force people to grow commodities, things that they want. They want to inject those commodities into their artificial foods, which they can then put onto the market and make profit from. Similar to Big Pharma, now you have Big Food. Legit. This is what's happening. And I, it's a really fascinating um, discussion that these people had because you really, um, by virtue of them just being in an open panel and just speaking and whatnot, you really have a lot of uh, telling moments. So uh, here's, here's another one, again, that really is a telling moment of how these people feel about the regular everyday consumer, the average farmer. So one of these, um, uh, one, one of these people that is in the, the, the panel, so again, it's a, it's, it's a panel that's filled with many people. They had an interesting statement about the soil. Again, I mentioned the, the importance of soil and the focus that's being put. The soil is an asset, and there's an asset that's best served not to grow food, but to store carbon. Right? This is their words. We don't need soil for food. We need soil for carbon, sequestration or whatever, storage of carbon. So, Miss uh, Geraldine Machet, she, she has a very interesting quote within the, this whole panel discussion. She says, firstly, how do we grow food on soil? How do we get to the soil? We take away the trees in order to grow. So there's a direct correlation of feeding more and more people with loss of forest cover and vegetation cover. So 
that statement right there just beautifully sums up the frame from which these people are viewing these issues. You have a direct conflict, right? You have a direct conflict between feeding people and loss of forest cover. So if we feed more people, there's loss of forest cover, which is leading to climate change, which is bad. So therefore, we need to feed less people. You see how that works? It's really quite simple. Of course, they'll never say it exactly in those terms, but it's quite clear based on the statements that are being made throughout these panels, throughout these conferences. And yet they will try to butter it up. They'll try to add beautiful words as though they're going towards the sustainable futures, how there's a green future and how they're innovating and supporting farmers. Really, they're supporting farmers by buying out their land, stealing it from them, forcing them to buy, to create your commodities. Guys, this is serious stuff right here. Again, they're directly pitting feeding people and loss of forest cover as though those two things are mutually exclusive, as though we haven't fed millions and billions of people and actually also increased forest cover in North America. Facts. We actually have a podcast episode that's dedicated towards global greening. I suggest you check it out if you haven't heard it where we analyze how the increase in CO2 acts as a fertilizer in order to act as an input. Because lest we forget, trees, trees need CO2. And there is a greening effect, not only from that, but also from increased plant planting. So there's actually an increase in vegetation, which again contradicts completely what this lady said, but it just highlights the narrow lens, the narrow frame from which they see the world. And the, and the plan, they're, they're putting it out there. They're putting the plan out there. It's there to be consumed. And some say that maybe that's on purpose. Maybe you put, you put a plan out there so that it seems so absurd that nobody actually thinks you're going to do it. But in reality, they're doing this. Again, I, I go back to the World Economic Forum and their multinational influences and their lack of accountability. We have to remember they are not accountable to any one people. They're not elected. And yet they are trying to influence. They are trying to, and they are influence, not just trying, they are doing it successfully, legislation in these countries. The Dutch PM, he is a product of the World Economic Forum. Canada, multiple other nations. I hope that this episode really got you to think about what's happening with the Dutch farmer protest and makes you realize that the issue is closer to home than you might think. If you made it this far, please, I highly encourage you to share this with a friend. The only way that we can stop this from becoming a greater issue is by first gaining awareness to its to the magnitude of the of the struggle that is taking place. So please share it with a friend, share it with somebody that might benefit, share it with strangers, put it on your Instagram story, whatever, because this is a critical time. We need to act. Again, this is First Principles Podcast. 
And if you're listening to the audio, one new thing that I'm going to be adding is increasing the video. So now you're going to be able to access these episodes moving forward in video format. So please check out the YouTube, youtube.com, First Principles Podcast. You'll find the video version of this podcast moving forward. There's going to be video. There's going to be all the articles and whatnot included. And there's going to be much more quality, much more content coming your way. Thank you so much. First Principles Podcast, Breakdown from the Ground Up. I'll catch you next time.